What the fuck is going on, y'all? <clears throat> Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and hopefully one day a true proletarian revolution. And that's what we're here to talk about today, folks. So thanks for stopping by. First and foremost, a few things off the top. One, just took a bong rip that I definitely didn't need, but you didn't hear that from me. Number two, I still have a pretty gross, like, cough and raspy voice, so I apologize. It won't go away. Um, It's been like a month. I had an upper respiratory infection, which was not COVID, um, thankfully. But I did have COVID about a year ago now, and because of that, my doctor is saying that my body isn't able to kick this as quickly as it should. So I do apologize. I'm going to be coughing and clearing my throat a lot. I know that can be annoying. Um, But yeah, so proletarian revolution, right? I said that's what we're going to talk about today, and I intend to do so. Um, I want to start off the show by saying I am a Marxist. I believe in Marx's uh, scientific approach to socialism. I believe in the need for a uh, revolution in order to overthrow the current ruling class, to smash the state, and to build a dictatorship of the proletariat. I believe in scientific socialism, and I believe in the progression of dialectical materialism as our guide to being able to properly analyze situations. I believe in our use of historical materialism to be able to look at history and learn lessons to learn how history progresses and develops in order to know how to, again, correctly approach and analyze the situations we find ourselves in today. I believe in the law of contradictions as well, which believes that there are contradictions in everything. Within that, there is a principal contradiction and a principal, uh, uh, oh, geez. There is a principal contradiction and a, there's a principal contradiction and then there's a principal contradiction within the principal contradiction. It'll come to me later. Um, so because of this, like I said, I believe in the need for revolution. Ultimately, as a Marxist, our goal is to build a revolution. Our goal is to organize the working class, to organize the proletariat into uh, different forms, different uh, uh, organs, which can then install uh, dictatorial power over the ruling class um, and be able to harness that power in order to eradicate the issues and the problems and the inequality which capitalist and bourgeois society has created. So let's go into some definitions here. So start off, dictatorship of the proletariat. Now this is a difficult one, so I'm going to bring in where I said the dictatorial rule over the ruling class. And when I talk about us defeating the issues and inequalities which capitalist and bourgeois society um, have created. Uh, I'm also going to bring in the term scientific socialism, and we're going to try to cover this all really quick, so hopefully I'm able to stay on track here. 
So first and foremost, scientific socialism is in opposition to utopian socialism. These terms were first developed by Marx and Engels when they were writing, uh, firstly, anti-during, I believe, and then the last chapter, which ended up becoming socialism, utopian, and scientific. Prior to Marx and Engels' theories of socialism, you had theories of socialism from French and English philosophers, such as Saint-Simon, Robert Owens, and Foyer. These are all philosophers who thought of socialist systems based off of a utopian ideal. So, for example, Robert Owens owned a factory and a factory town. And he felt that if he himself ran that factory town, he could run it on a socialist platform uh, in that he would be, you know, giving extra money to workers when there wasn't work to be had. He would pay for food and things of that nature and housing. um, And the workers would work in the factory for him and it would be, you know, an equal system. Well, the difficulty with this theory was Robert Owens was still the one in charge. Um, And as we know, those of us who understand socialism, we know that this is not how a socialist body uh, or a socialist uh, system is to be ran. So that's just one example. There's many others. But most of what the utopian uh, socialist-based socialism on was this ideal that if you create environment or you try to tell people to create an environment where everybody's equal and everybody gets everything they need, they'll do it. Um, There's no, you know, real need to interfere. There's no need to really organize or get involved. We just got to put the ideas out there and then history will take care of it. Well, Marx and Engels knew this wasn't the case. They knew that you had to go a little bit deeper. You had to see rather rather than just the one side, the economic side, where we say we just change the economics, we change who gets the money, and then boom, socialism. Marx and Engels recognized that it's not so simple. History doesn't develop based off of ideas. They were supporters of what was called dialectical materialism. Boom, we're drawing that in. They used historical materialism to show their theory of dialectical materialism as a study of history. Dialectical materialism is a belief that through the progression of things, there is within them contradictions. And those contradictions eventually cause the thing that is developing to take new form and progress forward. One example of this might be evolution. So you have a certain being, let's say uh, a fucking lizard, right? Who 50 years ago, its environment was warm but there was greenery, it had shade, it existed where there was some wetlands, and so it had certain physical characteristics which then allowed it to be able to survive in that environment. Well, as we know, uh, those of us who know anything about biological evolution, 
Darwin showed that environments cause certain needs for changes. And eventually, over time, for survival, your body, or in this case, a lizard's body, will start to develop and change in a way that is necessary to survive in that environment. Because what dialectical materialism also shows is the fact that nothing is static. Nothing stays the same. Nothing is eternal. So if you look at history with a dialectical materialist lens, you know that nothing in history has ever been the same. Things have always been progressing and changing. Even in small, minuscule ways, Marx and Engels showed that small, quantitative changes, so an increase of number of changes, eventually will take itself into a form of a, uh, excuse me here, just had a brain fart, a qualitative change. So as the quantitative changes stack up, basically you have a qualitative change. This is, again, to show dialectics in the same way that an evolutionary trait which develops, let's say, this lizard now because of climate change has no water in any near area. The greenery has all just about died. There's no um, shade. So now it has to develop ways or habits to be able to protect itself from this new environment. So some lizards in the desert develop burrowing habits. Some of them develop ways to self-cool. And this would be an example of dialectics because you have a internal and an external environment to call it something simplistic. And because of the contradiction between the environment and the uh, being, the lizard, there is something that has to give. There is something that has to change. Well, it is far less likely than the surrounding environment is going to change before the lizard will change, right? Because the environment doesn't so much need the lizard as the lizard needs the proper environment or the proper ability to live in the environment. So to bring it back, Marx and Engels showed that the way in which the, so- the socialists pre-existing them try to develop socialism was based on the wrong way of seeing the world. They were idealists. They believed in their heart that things stayed the same to whatever extent and eventually they could be changed through ideas but then if you formed proper or quote-unquote enlightened ideas That was just a perfect thing which was eternally true, eternally good, and eternally moral. And therefore, because of that, it would come into existence. Well, this didn't happen. So Marx and Engels basically had to be like, why? And because of the way in which Marx and Engels began to see the world, they knew that it was because of a historical development And they knew how that history was developing. 
they looked back and they they showed that between historical epochs, you have a change in either the mode of production or the mode of appropriation. So, just real quick to hit definitions. Utopian socialism is a socialism based on idealism, which ignores material reality and tries to exist in a realm of eternal truth. A scientific socialism is a socialism which takes the material conditions of a given time, place, and period in history and tries to figure out how to reorganize that society or environment or what into a society which can properly provide for everyone involved. Now, these are very broad definitions. Do not accept these as full definitions. Please, for whatever it's worth, go do your own research. Read Socialism, Utopian, and Scientific. Um, check out wage, labor, and capital. Check out, uh, uh, oh, geez, on the German ideology, I think it's called. Um, you have a lot of different writings which you can check out. Um, there's YouTube videos, there's different podcasts that talk about it. If you want to learn about stuff like scientific socialism, go check out Rev Left Radio uh, or Red Menace, who actually does an episode on the book socialism utopian and scientific so you have that dialectical materialism is a way in which uh one can understand uh change or progression through a materialist lens lens which looks at the material reality instead of ideas as the way in which things progress forward Historical materialism is a historical lens which allows us to analyze how things changed over time, and it is a uh, belief that shows us that it is in fact a change in the contradictions between the material conditions and the pre-existing ones which cause a development or a change within historical epochs. Again, simplistic definitions just to have stuff to work with here. So proletarian revolution is the goal of Marxists everywhere. If you call yourself a Marxist but are not in favor of proletarian revolution, then you are not a Marxist. And we cannot be these basically eclectic kind of collectors of ideas where we call ourselves Marxist, but we're like, well, I don't really like Marxist theory, so I kind of take from this guy, and I don't really like Lenin, so I kind of take from Rosa Luxemburg, and it's like, no, 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 no. Marxism is a science. Remember, scientific socialism is not just some idea. Marx and Engels spent their entire lives being directly involved with workers' organizations. They spent time being in contact with people like Charles Darwin. They were not simply idealists who thought that they were so smart that they could come up with the perfect theory to make things better. No, they were, at the end of the day, scientific analyzers of material conditions. They were philosophers of the materialist sort. Because of this, 
Marx and Engels believed in a scientific approach to socialism and to historical change. So one thing that this led them to believe in, or led them to support theoretically, and show theoretically why it is possible, um, and they called it the dictatorship of the proletariat. We in the West need to throw out the what we see in our head when we hear dictator. Because I'm sure some people on the West think of Joseph Stalin or Karl Marx or Chairman Mao when they hear the word dictator. But dictatorship is not simply some guy who we think is bad, who is the face of a country and, you know, because of that we think that that person is just a dictator. Um, Dictatorial rule is not even necessarily based on one person being in charge. We here in the United States and all across the world live under a dictatorship. Now, this is what many might call the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie or the dictatorship of the ruling class. It's a dictatorship because they're in charge of everything. They're in charge of the government. They're in charge of writing the laws. They are in charge of deciding how our economy runs. They're the ones in charge of what we produce, what we distribute, what we consume, what we import, what we export. They are in charge of deciding what we learn in school. They are in charge of deciding what we are to get paid for working. This is one group in society, not one person, but a group which none of us can deny are in complete control of everything. That is a dictatorship. A dictatorship is not simply one person. So dictatorship of the proletariat is taking the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie and in a pure dialectical fashion, putting it on its head. So you take the people who are in charge now, which we can call the minority. They are the few. They are less than 50% of the people in charge. We call them the 1%. So we should understand how few people this really is. They are all in charge of the majority, of the many, of the 99%, right? So a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie is the 1% in charge and the 99%. Don't get caught up on those percentages. It's just for the sake of understanding. A dictatorship of the proletariat would be an inversion of that, wherein the 99%, the majority of people, are in charge of the way in which society is run. We ourselves, within a dictatorship of the proletariat, would be the ones directly administrating government or societal or worker administration. We would be in charge of ourselves, and we would use that power to suppress the ruling class which for centuries has dominated, suppressed, oppressed, and murdered us in ways that you know, far outnumber anything else we can think of. Now, if you still can't get down with that, I'm sorry, but this is just what it takes to actually eliminate 
the causal root of the problems which capitalist and bourgeois society have created. It is also an attempt to completely erase what we call class society. Class society is a society wherein class antagonisms between, for example, a ruling class and a working class is what progresses society forward. That's class struggle, excuse me. Um, What class society is, is society where there are classes. So society where people are not equal. There is a social determinant which puts one person in a higher place in society than another. Economic factors, other things as well, but within society, within the structure of that society, they are the ones at top for whatever reason and we are the ones at the bottom. Now, a Marxist analysis shows us why this is. It's because they're fucking rich and we're not. Wealth, under a capitalist system, is power. Look at the government officials and how close they are with, you know, all the the wealthy people. Look at how wealthy they are themselves. And look at who's in power around us. It's those fuckers. So, we know that it is based off of economics if we take a Marxist approach. That's the base to the problem. So, when we're trying to take a scientific approach to socialism, when we are trying to overthrow the system where there is a ruling class and a working class, that cannot be something which is just going to happen. That has to be an organized, understood, and again, scientifically approached uh, practice. If we are trying to eliminate class antagonism, so if we are trying to eliminate the inequality between the ruling and the working classes, then we have to do that strategically. We have to do that correctly, which means we have to look at history, not as a way to say, well, this is why I think Marxists suck is because this one Marxist said this one thing that I don't like, or this is why communism failed because the Soviet Union collapsed. Scientific socialism is a systematic approach to historical epoch change to install socialism. Which means this is not... Scientific socialism or communism is not the USSR. It is not China. It is not Vietnam. Scientific socialism is a theory with core principles and foundational laws. So if the Soviet Union failed, it's because, for whatever reason, they were not upholding and working towards upholding those principles and laws. For whatever reason. I don't know that yet. So if I wanted to learn and I wanted to not make the mistakes that they made, I would go to the history books. I would ignore the propaganda I've been taught my whole life. And I would learn for myself how to think critically about these things how to take a dialectical approach to problem solving. You see it from all sides and you'll be able to figure it out in such a more complete fashion. The dictatorship of the proletariat is that organization for strategic and scientific approach to eliminating class antagonisms within our society. That is what Marxists everywhere believe. 
The way to install that dictatorship of the proletariat, many who call themselves Marxists get caught up on. We were talking earlier, it's a violent revolution. If you can't get down with that, how do you fathom in your head that millions of children die every single year? How are you going to accept that right now in Yemen, in Palestine, in Colombia, all over the world, in Haiti, all over the world, in Chile, in Africa, in Asia, in India right now especially, how do you accept that people are going to die by police violence for going out and protesting the fact that they do not afford, have affordable housing? That there is not food to be had. That there are not vaccines within their country, nor is their government taking this COVID uh, virus seriously. How do you look yourself in the mirror and say, the way in which I am completely enslaved to a system which decides for me what I am to do with my free time, what I am to do with my money, what I am to do with my life, It decides that I am not going to be in charge of how society is run. It decides I am not going to be in charge of the laws in which I have to uphold. It is not going to be in charge of what kind of rights and, uh, uh, you know, privileges that I, within a structured nation, am allotted due to my participation in that society. It decides what my taxes go towards. How do you kind of accept that? How, how do you kind of be proud of yourself for upholding such a shit system? Because we as Marxists believe that ultimately violent revolution is the only way in which history has developed forward. Look at how this country was founded. There's so many people who are pro-America, pro-capitalism, who want to say communism is a dictatorial regime of murderers and serial killers and stuff and think that's not precisely what every single version of the United States government over time has been. I mean, the majority of our first hundred years of existence as a formally organized country, almost every member of the government owns slaves. And What's crazy is even back then, the people knew much more than we know now that those fuckers are only in charge because they're wealthy. They're only in charge because they own the land. There were so many different rebellions which tried to take that shit from these people. But because it was not organized in a fashion which could be successful, it ultimately failed against a much more organized and militant enemy, which was the government. So now today, because we live in this liberal society where we are so cushioned, we are so supported by all this bullshit consumerism, that violent revolution is scary to us. Well... Violent revolution is only a little bit scarier than dying from COVID for houseless people. Violent revolution is only that much more scary for black and brown people whose life is a violent revolution, whose very existence is an act of resistance. Violent revolution is only that much worse than what's happening at uh, line three 
in Minnesota right now where Enbridge, a Canadian company, is this close to poisoning the Minnesota, which is the, uh, um, which I probably pronounced that wrong, um, but that's the Mississippi River. It is going over so many waterways, and if this thing spills, that could be it for clean drinking water in the United States and in the world in a lot of cases. And you should know that already you can buy stocks in water. And that's pretty terrifying. Um, so violent revolution for a big you know, portion of the people who are oppressed within our society today is only that much more scary than what they're already dealing with right now. When you don't have food guaranteed to you, when you don't have shelter, when you don't have a job, when you don't have a home, when you don't have health care, when you can't go to the doctor, what is it that you think is going to change this? Because here's the thing, that's not on accident. This is a system. Again, socialism is a system which is based off of core principles and foundational laws. Well, so is capitalism, and so is colonialism, and so is imperialism. Now, these laws change. These principles take new form as new historical epochs and discoveries happen. But ultimately, what we have here, again, is a class society. This class is in charge. This class is powerless, is under control. What are we going to do about it, folks? What are we going to do about it? Because guess what? They got the guns. And they're killing us with them already. What are we going to do? Are we going to go vote every single police officer out? Too bad. They don't let us do that. Although that is something that the dictatorship of the proletariat installed during the Paris Commune. Which was that all police officers, military officials, and government members all were subject to revocation at any time. Which means if the popular people within a given area knew that a police officer was corrupt... They could vote and take away his ability to become a police officer anywhere ever again. These people were also only paid a a salary that any other worker would have been able to make at the time. Unlike today where military government officials, capitalists, police make bank and we're all poor as shit. That's the difference, folks. That's what we're working towards. And how do we get there? How do we think that we are going to be able to defeat this monster that is oppression, class antagonisms? How do we think we're going to defeat that? Well, I can tell you one way it's not going to work, and that's nonviolent action. Because guess what? That's what we've been doing for 245 years here in the United States. And look at where it's gotten us. Black folks, brown folks, indigenous people trans folks, femme folks, LGBTQ plus folks, they all know from experience what it is like to resist, what it is like to be oppressed, what it is like to fight for liberation. And they know what it is like to fight for liberation by nonviolent means to think you have succeeded by laws being passed or, you know, words being said But then you see that the realities for these groups of oppressed people does not actually change. Black people still are not free within this United States. 
brown people and indigenous people are still not free under this United States. Indigenous people don't want to even live in the United States. What is the United States? The United States is a self-appointed regime which took the land, power, resources, and everything that makes a society a society away from the indigenous people. So what's going on at line three right now? These pretty big demonstrations. It's unfortunate, in my opinion, that these continuously take nonviolent forms because guess what? That pipeline's still getting built. But you have a group of people who is so convinced by the society that they live in. And this is how we know it's not on accident. Because they teach us about Martin Luther King's March on Washington. They teach us about Mahatma Gandhi. But they don't teach us about Malcolm X. They don't teach us about Huey P. They don't teach us about AIM. They don't teach us about the Young Lord's occupation of hospitals. They don't teach us about this shit. Because they don't want us to learn about it. They don't want us to know what to do with these ideas. They don't want us to have these notions in our mind that this is something that we can accomplish. They do not want us aware of what would take them out of power. Because guess what? If they did, if they taught us this stuff, if they really taught us history, they wouldn't be in power. Guarantee you that. And guess what? They shouldn't be in power. And this is why violent revolution, time and time again throughout history, has been the tool which has pushed history forward and has removed oppressive regimes from power. The French Revolution was not a big uh, voting success. Okay? Those guillotines were not ballot machines. And I know a lot of us love, 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 love to talk so much about guillotines and everything like that. Man, that's not going to be our weapon. These motherfuckers got drones. Like, come on now. But here we see, you know, again, a complete misunderstanding of violence. Because violence is not just an outright, we're just going to fucking bush run you and we're going to try to grab you and put you down on the chopping block. Like... Y'all need to read On Guerrilla Warfare by uh, Mao. You got to read Guerrilla Warfare by Lenin. You got to read Guerrilla Warfare by Che. You got to read Guerrilla Warfare by all these writers who learn what warfare is actually like. What violent revolution is actually like by directly participating in it themselves. They learned from experience what violent revolution is. And we, today, need to take those lessons, which they have left for us, and learn from them. But we are not even willing to go to a point that we accept that violence is a means by which we are going to act. And that, my friends, is very upsetting. Because I'll tell you what, if these indigenous folks, if these, uh, uh, you know, water protectors at these uh, treaty camps... If that march that just went to Washington, uh, I believe it was called Moral Monday, um, if these motherfuckers had guns, if they were organized and militant and planned on establishing a revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat, well then shit might be changing today. 
shit might have already changed. Huey P., Fred Hampton, again, AIM, the Young Lords, the Young Patriots, they knew what needed to be done, and that's why those motherfuckers are dead. That's why those motherfuckers are in Cuba or somewhere else in exile. That's why those motherfuckers sit in jail like Mumia Al-Jabal and like uh, Kevin Rashid Johnson. This is why they die, get in prison, get exiled, is because they're not making the mistakes that we're making today. Now, that's not a condemnation on these people because I'll tell you what, they're doing far more than you or I am. You're listening to a podcast and I'm fucking recording one, so that's something to say about us. But it is, you know, a lesson to be learned. Um, It is a lesson that we should be learning. Um, Excuse me one second, just getting to my job. This door is going to be loud. Okay, so basically what I'm trying to say here is, is these movements which are happening all across the country I mean, you saw how large the Black Lives Matter movements were in Portland, in New York City, in L.A., in Chicago, in Minneapolis, in Atlanta, all over the country. And yet, for whatever reason, it seems like nothing's going to change. Well, it's because our means of changing things was not enough. And this is where I wanted to go to finish off why a violent revolution is important. So one great show you ought to look into, which is another podcast, is Mark's Madness. Right now, Mark's Madness is still continuing on the reading of, uh, oh, geez, Black Reconstruction in America by W.E.B. Du Bois. Fantastic read. I implore any of you to go read that yourselves if you do not have the time or want to do that because it is a pretty big book. Um, please go listen to Mark's Madness's coverage of that. Um, but in their reading of this, you know, they discuss as well. And they brought up the point that the Civil War was the closest attempt to a true revolution that the United States has ever seen. And the reason why they say that is because the oppressed group within society took up arms against the oppressor within society and ultimately made an attempt to completely overthrow their rule. Now, because of the ways in which that this happened, because of the historical developments which did occur, and because of the immense power that white society had in America over black folks, um, they unfortunately did not completely revoke power from the structures which already existed. Um, Because of that, they ended up having to go back under the rule of these oppressive powers. So when you do that, you obviously are going to face some reaction. I mean, you just tried to overthrow us and kill us. Um, We're not going to exactly just like expect that then these people are going to be all nicey nice to us because, uh, you know, they don't want us to get angry. Um, What usually happens in countries where there are 
um, rebellions, where there are attempts at revolution, um, is all the organizers and members of that group, which attempted to overthrow the power structure, um, gets massacred. In El Salvador, there was a demonstration, I believe, not even an active like revolutionary moment, but just a demonstration and uh, of communists. And the puppet regime that was installed by the United States at the time, uh, if I'm getting my history correct here, uh, massacred approximately 30,000 people like that. So here you see what happens when you oppose the power structure. You get killed. But what uh, a lot of us do not understand is that that is far less likely to happen if we are equally as strapped as those motherfuckers. Um, If we know how to shoot guns and we have guns and we know how to do shit, Just like they do, if we train, if we get militant and we get down with what the cause is, well, guess what? That's a whole nother ballgame. Because people always want to say, well, the government will just massacre us. It's like, well, I'm sure that's what everybody was saying in places like Cuba. uh, And it was true for a very long time. But then it wasn't. So, you know, that's the resolve we got to work with. But here in the United States, the Civil War happened in a way which allowed black people to begin arming themselves. Because both the North and the South, after years of fighting, didn't want to fight anymore. They wanted the war to be over. And both of them thought, you know, on their own, because they still wanted to fucking massacre each other. They just didn't want the war to keep going. Um, They both started putting black soldiers with guns in the war. Well, now black people had guns. And before that, black people were already having slave revolts. They were taking over huge plantations. You had stuff like Nat Turner Revolt. You had all kinds of movements like that prior to the Civil War. So these motherfuckers knew what they were doing. They were militant. They were organized. They knew what the fuck they wanted. They wanted freedom, and they were going to get it. So anyone who looks down on black people, anyone who says that black people are free because of Abraham Lincoln or because the North fought for them or any of that bullshit, black people are free in this country today in the sense that they are not actively enslaved publicly because like we already discussed, they're not truly free. They don't have freedom like you and I, white folks have freedom, Um, I I don't know, (laughs) I just assumed you were white, I don't know. I feel like if you're listening to this show, maybe. Um, I don't know. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, yeah, so, like, in this country, black people aren't free. But the freedom which they fought for to end slavery in the United States as a viable, you know, thing that could keep happening, they took up arms and those motherfuckers freed themselves. But the issue, like I said, was they didn't then go into the group or the places of power which power exists in. They were not in total then the government officials in Washington. Although many did take government positions, they were not the ones who were able to call the shots. They were not the ones who were always able to do what needed to be done to fully see through uh, the end of 
you know, true oppression of black folks. You had, you know, white people who only a year after Civil War, just they were all back in power. The army left the South, which was really the only thing that was at least in a little bit protecting black folks in the South. Although, you know, during, after, immediately after even the Civil War, there were all kinds of white mobs who went through and lynched folks and killed folks. And the army didn't really do much anything. But <clears throat> it was a presence which gave black people confidence, um, which gave uh, uh, black people some protection in some way. But black people were their confidence and they were their protection. It just meant that now it wasn't the whole country which was trying to oppress them. It was only, you know, most of the country. But anywho, you have a real revolutionary moment when looking at the Civil War because an oppressed group of people, black former slaves, were able to free themselves from enslavement. But the reason why it wasn't a proletarian revolution was because they didn't take the dictatorial regime out of power completely and place themselves in a dictatorship of the proletariat. They did not eliminate the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. They eliminated slavery in the United States, which is an incredible feat, which white people were not willing to go through with. Um, But it is something that ultimately... It, it did not do all of what it needed to do, right? And this is not to say that, oh, look at these, you know, failures. That's the cool thing about history is we get to look back at history and be like, oh, shit, you know, this is something that we should look at and study and, and learn from and be able to, you know, do better at when it's our turn. However, a lot of people want to look back at history and say, oh, my goodness, you know, how could these people who were oppressed for so long not know what to do da 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 it's like motherfucker you voted in november so shut the fuck up anyways so when lenin was writing about the revolution he very often said that revolution a proletarian revolution ought to be fought through to its logical conclusion So this brings us back to the discussion of scientific socialism. As history pushes itself forward, it's not as if immediately after people started fighting the feudalist system that all of a sudden feudalism was over. No, feudalism still exists today. Why do you have landlords? So we did not fight that revolution through to its logical conclusion. Um, so when Lenin writes about this, he's trying to show that when things progress forward, right, they do not necessarily all at once go from one thing to the next. Again, quantitative to qualitative change. But if we stop halfway, we will be killed again. What happens to failed revolutionaries? They're murdered. So when we are trying to think about our revolution, we have to think about it in the sense that we cannot fail and we cannot take the compromises or the half steps or the mistakes 
that any of those before us did. So when we are looking at something like revolution, we have to see it through to its logical end. We cannot just simply have a revolution where we put some people in power, where we're able to defend ourselves in some ways, but then we relinquish our guns, we give our power back, we go back to work, and we allow things to continue as they do uh, for whatever reason. We have to completely abolish the power structure as it exists. As Marx says, smash the state. Smash the power structure. If we do this, right, we can't just simply smash the power structure. Because we smash the power structure, we all go back home. Well, guess what? They know where we live. They know who we are. They got the big guns. They come in. They fucking massacre us. They kill our family. You know, they uh, they do all kinds of crazy shit to people who try to stand up against the government. So you smash the state. Well, what do you do then next, Marx? Well, he'll tell you, you know, you build one which supports the people who are they themselves building the revolution. Well, who did Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, Mao believe that group would be? The proletariat. Welcome back to my introduction. <clears throat> Again, this is a show about people's liberation, and it is also a show which is trying to educate and progress towards a proletarian revolution. The difference between a simple revolution, rebellion, revolt, uprising, etc., and a proletarian revolution is a proletarian revolution de installs, to say, uh, the ruling class, which is the bourgeoisie, which is the rich uh, elites, which is the minority, the few within society, which is the oppressors. We take away their power and we give that power to ourselves. We begin to be the government officials. We begin to be the uh, military of sorts, because we have the people's army. And we become those who protect others within society, not these pigs, not these fucking cops who go out and just massacre people like it's their job. I mean, it is what they get paid to do, right? Or at least that's how things keep happening. But anyways, if we want to have a true proletarian revolution, then that means we got to have the proletariat in power. So we have to install a dictatorship of the proletariat. We have to use scientific socialism to be able to help that dictatorship, the proletariat, know how to act. And we have to use dialectical and historical materialism to come to a complete understanding of what needs to be done to know how to concretely and intelligently and correctly make decisions and changes to the structure and to the uh, existing society in order to keep that proletariat in power, to keep history progressing forward, to keep having progressive changes for the people within this society, to keep defeating what we call class antagonism, what we call inequality, until we eventually are able to install such a societal or philosophical or economic or material condition of worldwide socialism, only then can we see what you and I call communism. 
So anyone who's sitting there telling you communism has always failed, motherfucker, we haven't seen communism. So here's the deal. That's violent revolution. That's proletarian revolution. That is scientific socialism. That's the dictatorship of the proletariat. That's dialectical and historical materialism, and that's my best attempt at trying to explain those things. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about these theories, let me know, please, because I don't ever know what to talk about. And as much as I love just rambling on here, I would much prefer to be able to actually educate and expand people's knowledge with my own. So let me know what you want me to talk about. I'll do some research. I'll actually do like a well-recorded and structured podcast. We can work on something here, but I need y'all to reach out. So if you want to do that, hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter at In Defense of Liberation. You can find me on uh, <clears throat> on uh, email <laughs> at In Defense of Liberation, no caps, no spaces, at gmail.com. You can also find my blog at for liberation again no uh caps no spaces dot w i x s i t e dot com forward slash website um you can hit me up there you know for whatever reason if you want to ask questions if you want to tell me i'm stupid and i got something wrong if you want to tell me that you don't believe in that because i'm a commie bastard who needs to kill himself like Hit me up. I'm bored. I like posting on social media. Give me something good to post. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening, y'all. I hope this was at all informative and useful. I know that sometimes I do a good job of thinking I'm going to go ahead and explain something and then not explaining it. So hope I did a good job. But this is why we as Marxists have to keep pushing the idea that violent revolution, that proletariat revolution that the dictatorship of the proletariat, that scientific socialism, um, that all these things are true, uh, they are theoretically sound, and they are necessary if we actually want to solve the problems which exist in society. And I mean that by solving them, not, you know, working on their symptoms, not trying to eliminate some of the issues for some of the people, but breaking down the structure that causes racism, breaking down the structure that causes economic inequality and completely erasing these things from the face of the earth among many, many more and putting a structured society in place which corrects those things. That's what we need. And that's what Marxists have to be pushing and talking about um, at the end of the day. So thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Again, hit me up. Um, But yeah, stay safe, stay revolutionary. Stay supporting the, uh, the, uh, the efforts over in Minnesota to end line three. Go donate to them. Go hit them up. You can go show up to the camps and go protest yourself. Uh, support all people's movements that are happening in your area. Get down. Go volunteer. Go be a part of demonstrations and protests. But recognize and try your best to talk to people about the fact that there needs to be more. We have to be more organized. We have to be more militant. We have to be more disciplined and we have to be more willing to act than the people in power are already. And that's going to take a lot of time. So we have to get working. Thanks for listening. Again, we'll see you soon. Uh, And uh, yeah, bye.